then I would like to invite you to put into a contemplation around this uh, story, uh, which I just told you about Jesus saying, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So let's take a few moments to reconnect So with the in-breath sliding into the body, even down into your feet. So you become aware of your posture, of your whole body. You feel the lifeness in the whole body. Notice your own energy. Now, after the break, maybe something changed. How is it for you to be here just now? Not as a story, but as an experience. So you drop into the trunk of your body, away from the head, from the entanglement with thoughts, into your hands, into your belly, resting in the breath. And it's a, it's a process, it's a bit of a journey, and it, it's something which is effortless. It's nothing you need to do. Just sitting here and letting mind and body settle. And then with the out-breath, there's a quality of giving space and letting go. So, letting go of the control freak. Letting go of the one who knows. I mean, here the self-righteous one. Letting go of the meditator. The most important instruction is to let this moment be exactly what it is. To let yourself be. Then, if you notice that you take your thoughts more important than what is happening, you let the bubble burst. You let the balloon drift into the vast sky, the balloon of thinking. And you stay here with us, with this voice. with the sensations, 
and then, if possible, with a stillness, with a silence. <coughs> Returning, returning and resting, and then opening. And a clear, boundaryless sky. Can be a mirror for us, <coughs> a mirror of the heart like the sky. returning, dropping into the trunk of your body and sliding with the breath, shifting from head, from thoughts into beingness, into presence. mighty stillness, boundaryless, centerless presence, with a heart like the sky. Forget yourself. With all senses open. open our mind to all these people just now who are sitting in the presence of divine, of the divine, who are sitting quietly in all traditions, in temples, at home, some in joy, some in despair.
So now I invite you to imagine that scene where there's a self-righteous man wanting to stone a woman, a woman who was unfaithful. So these self-righteous men, they present the self-righteousness within you. So how does it feel to have that stone in your hand? Just about to cast the stone, being sure you are right, being sure you know what's right and wrong. How does that feel? Can you feel the power in that? The security? I'm right, I know. Where are you right in your life? Where do you have your stone in your hand? And how does it feel? And there's a woman, helpless, in front of the judges. Can you recognize that? Scared. And helpless. Afraid. Probably guilty, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed. Being confused. Being cast out. Being rejected from the group. Nobody there to support her. How does that feel? Where do you know that from your life? Then Jesus walks into the scene quietly and calmly, but full of authority. 
the divine shines through. He is radiant. And he just quietly looks at the man who is just about to throw the stone. And he just says one thing. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And he says it quietly, without aggression, but with love. Feel what happens in the man. What happens in that man, the first man who drops his stone the relief in that man when hatred is replaced with compassion when confusion confusion is replaced with understanding she's just like me And then feel how all the other men, one by one, they drop their stone. Not because they are afraid, not because Jesus is because they connect with his love. And they see. And feel the relief of the woman. Maybe she even felt also that she has sinned, but how does it feel to be seen, to be enlightened back, to be forgiven? Let that scene dissolve. And just stay a bit with the presence of Christ consciousness, the divine shining through.
feel how peace can reveal itself when there is no judgment. Peace is this moment without judgment. is this moment without judgment. Well, that is um, how in some Christian traditions uh, the, the practitioners work with uh, these stories in the Bible, the stories of uh, Jesus, yeah. really seeing them as, as, as description of uh, inner processes yeah. and embodying and recognizing. Like, it's like dream work. It's, it's really just like dream work. Like in a dream, uh, you know, each aspect in the dream is an aspect of your own psyche, is an aspect of your own experience. And uh, it's a bit of an art to um, shift the mind from seeing these stories as literal to seeing them as description of inner psychic processes. And the same is true for the, uh, for the Buddhist stories. So if you read the stories in the Yataka scale, the Yataka uh, stories, which describe the, the lives of the Buddha before he became fully enlightened. So then when you read the stories, then people get into discussions of, you know, how oh, this is not possible, and, you know, and it's not about that. Did this story really happen? No, the, the one we just looked at doesn't matter. Completely irrelevant if that happened or not. It's happening. This story is happening in our life. And that's what this story is about. So. I still have to talk a bit, but I will leave some, some time for questions. So, before the break I talked about the teachings of judgment. And now, um, this powerful teaching of Jesus of love your enemies. Yeah. is probably one of the most known teachings from the 
don't know what the English word is, the, the back predict, the Sermon of the Mountain, or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what, how they call it in English. So that's again from Matthew. It's also interesting actually to read the different Gospels, the four Gospels, because uh, Jesus is a bit of a different person in these four Gospels. And, um, and then there is you know, the, the, the Gospel of Thomas, which is not part of the, um, of the official, official Bible. Uh, so the Gospel of Thomas was discovered 45 in a, in a kind of by a little uh, shepherd, uh, a little boy in a cave. Um, so in, in the, the Gospel of Thomas is the most kind of esoteric uh, gospel or the most uh, the, the Gospel of Thomas Thomas just contains teachings, not not the life story. I will uh, mention some of the this gospel later. but uh, so this is uh, Matthew again and Jesus saying, "You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. So this is really, uh, that's also the uh, the rebellious. So uh, Jesus really steps out of that uh, religion of a tribal God, which is the God of the Old Testament. It's... It's the jealous God. It's the the God of the Jews. It's like, uh, it's 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 a tribal. We are the elected ones, yeah? and we have this relationship to this tribal God. And uh, this teaching is, is very much around. You know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your love the love the people. Take care of the people of your tribe. Yeah. And don't and don't let others in, because they are the other. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, this is like that's a long journey to get there. Means persecute? Uh, kill you. Uh, hmm? Yeah. Yes. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. If you, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? I mean, what, what you know, everyone is doing that. Oh, you love me also? Yeah. Then you're a nice person. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's really a great guy. You 
was a humorous. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Yeah, you love the people you like. You love the people of your tribe. Yes, sure. That's not practicing. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Yeah. So love your enemies. In the Buddhist, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, that's called lojong, mind transformation. Yeah. Sh uh, uh, shifting, shifting your perspective from separation from all. Oh, this is these are the others. These are the enemies to a recognition of common humanity uh, based also on the, on the other teaching of uh, judging others or based on your, in the recognition of your own shadow, but also based on the, on the recognition of kinship with everyone, the recognition that as human beings we have a common ground. We know each other, even if we don't know our name and the stories and how much money we make, there is something within us we can recognize. The same kind of vulnerability, the same kind of longings, the same kind of beauty also, the same kind of, uh, um, the same kind of Mysteri mysterium, the same kind of, wow, a human being with feelings, just like me. Consciousness, you know, a, con a conscious being, just like me. So, so fragile, so vulnerable, but also so beautiful and so, wow, so amazing. So, what I then, of course, very much appreciate in the Buddhist teachings is that so you get this beautiful teaching of love your enemy, but then the question is how? Yeah? So, love your enemy is the result. Yeah? It's describing a result. And, and that's beautiful, but what we need is, uh, we, we also need, and this is what I personally get more from the Buddhist teachings, is how to get there, how to get to the result of love your enemy. If you only have this teaching, love your enemy, then there it creates like a split, like we want to... We want to be there and we fake it and we, 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 we pretend we're doing it, but we didn't do the work because we didn't have the steps and the tools to do the work, how to, how to get there. So love your enemy is not a practice. Love your enemy is the result of a practice. So what is the practice of getting to love your enemy? This is, a, this is an important point also in the Buddhist teachings we shouldn't confuse the result with the process to get there. Like, if I tell you now, relax. 
relax is the result. And how do you get there? How do you, how do you get to relax? So the, the practice of to get to relax is bring your attention to your body, notice where there's tension, soften there, breathe in there, bring your mind, bring your awareness back into the body. So I, I, do, I never say relax, because relax is the result. So if you would, if you would sit here and I would say, relax, then you would, oh, relax, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, how can I relax? I'm not good in relaxing. Uh, yeah, I, I wish I would be relaxed, by, but I'm not relaxed at all. Yeah? So this is an important point. It's also confused in the Buddhist teachings a lot. When teachers talk, talk about the result, and we think this is a practice, but it's not the practice. It's the result of the practice. So love your enemy is the result. And, um, and then in the Buddhist teachings, I got the practices for doing it. For example, um, the, the practice of equanimity, which I mentioned in a few words just a few minutes ago. No, this practice of recognizing common humanity in each other, like... Your enemy, the so-called enemy, the person you don't like, is struggling just like you. She has a hard time just like you. She wants to be loved just like you. And she has Buddha nature just like you. And she will die just like you. So that would be a practice. And then if you contemplate like this, and you do it genuinely, you can't help yourself to, than to love them. You will suddenly see, oh, oh, shit. There's something, there's something softening there. <gasps> shit. Oh, it was so good to have an enemy, and now, you know, it's kind of... Yeah? So then, that's the practice. And, uh, of course, in the Christian tradition, I mean, there's so much pretense, so much fake, you know, love your enemy, love your enemy, and then, you know, I mean, American Christianity is so rotten, for example. Now, even Trump feels probably that he is a Christian. But the same is true for, you know, it's, it's also in Buddhism, I mean, there's so much pretense and fake in, in the Buddhist centers and in, in Buddhist groups. Uh, so love your enemy is something, is a journey, no? It's a journey and uh, we, are not, we are not going to arrive there, probably. Because love your enemy would also mean to love yourself completely, to know yourself completely and to accept yourself completely. And that is a long journey. And most of us, I don't think, I mean, this is probably not manageable in one life. Because there's so much to love in you. So much to forgive in you. So much to heal in you. But this is, for me, I don't know why I feel more loved by Jesus than by Buddha. 
<laughs> I think it's just because I know it from childhood. And, and this is also something important. It's about feeling it. It's about embodying it. And uh, so what, you, what we really need to do is um, as much as possible to connect with your own culture. I mean, I'm not, I'm not born in Sweden, so I, I, I can't... And, and you know, <coughs> now the, the, these stories, oh, they come from my Catholic background. So I've heard them as, little, as a little boy, even before school, I knew these stories. But there must be stories like this also in, in Sweden. Yeah? I mean, you are. Sweden is one of the most developed countries in this world. That's, I mean, there's almost no better, no, no better. I mean, there's probably a lot of things to fix, and, and you could do things better. But if you look around, I mean, that's in, in, in Scandinavia, that's how about you know, the peak of human development living together. That's like, you are on the kind of, you know, as it, it's still in a sad state, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, this is how humanity got so far. There's, of course, a lot of space for improvement. Denmark and Sweden, Finland and Norway. So, what I want to say is, I want to encourage you to uh, to look into your into your own culture, you know, into the values of your culture. Like in in Denmark, then I would, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I remember. Some time ago, I gave this uh, workshop in uh, in in Orbor, and we were. Uh, it was happening in the in the Frivilikhus of uh, of Orbor, which is like a community-based uh, house where there's all kinds of groups who do voluntary work, all kinds of work. And it was a you know a beautiful house, and you could also you could see all the projects, and you could feel how people go there and they help others and they do these things. And I was sitting there as a Buddhist, you know, talking about, you know, compassion and, and, uh, and uh, uh, um, equanimity. And, and I felt really a bit ashamed to sit there in, in a rich culture, in a rich embodiment of, uh, of uh, kindness and of generosity giving a lecture about generosity. So, and, and, and that's beautiful. That also this, I mean, where we are here, it's amazing. Look, the, the condition of this place. You know, everything is here. PowerPoint, heating, light, and it's for free. You can come here and you can, if you have something to share, something to give, you can use these rooms. I mean, it's amazing. Why do I say that? Yeah, because the, uh, the, the kind of uh, uh, 
a pride, a healthy pride, and a, a, a deep curiosity towards the values and towards the teachings within our own culture, which for me is very much the Catholic background. So, there's time for a bit more. One of the really wonderful teachings of Jesus is, don't worry about the future. Yeah, Don't worry about the future. So, also for Matthew, so Jesus. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today, today's troubles is enough for today. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You know, people make this fuss about the power of now. You know? Here it is. Tolle just stole it from Jesus. <laughs> That's okay, that's okay. But then quite often these teachers they don't they don't admit, you know, that they, they got it from they got it from Jesus or they got it from Buddha, you know, they sell it as their own their own big insights. So then there is this somewhat longer passage about, you know, how the birds they don't worry and, and, and things like that. So so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. So this is so, for me, so powerful to really realize, wow, all I have to work with is what is happening now. And relating to what is happening now in a loving way is the best preparation for relating to what is happening tomorrow in a loving way. So instead of, you know, being stressed out that you are not loving, relate, lovingly relating to what is happening tomorrow, you just need to work with what is happening now. So, and what is happening now? So if you... Of course, we could call all the problems we have tomorrow, you know, we could call them into our room, uh, into this room, because we are able to do that, you know, as that's our curse, it's our, it's our gift and our curse that we can, that we can call problems into, into this moment now, which are not here. So we can be occupied very much with what is not happening. That's actually, most of the time, we are occupied with something which is not happening. And then if we do this practice, then we start to see, well, when I actually work with what is happening, it's always workable somehow. <coughs> and most of the time, it is, for us, most of the time, it is actually quite fine. I mean, right now, for example, it's, it's quite fine. 
there's not back, back big problems right now to to work to work lovingly with maybe some discomfort some coughing maybe some tiredness and you know but you know that's that's okay that's workable that's something you know to to be with and uh, uh, work with so What is this moment if you realize, oh, there's nobody here who has problems? Except the one you make up. Oh, shit, I forgot my problems. Let con- let's concentrate a bit. What was it? Yeah, this morning I was full of problems. I woke up full of but just now I don't remember it. What was it? Yeah. It takes me some time to get it together. It probably has something to do with money, you know, something to do with the relationship. So then I build it up again. So do, and so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. And again, what I now appreciate in the Buddhist teachings is that in the Buddhist practice, and you can find that for sure also in in the Christian tradition, uh, but so in the Buddhist practice, I get actually methods to do this. Like I get methods, meditation practices. I get... uh, you know, I, I can build up a meditation practice where I can train this, where I can look at my worries. Because, so if, you, if I say to you now, don't worry about tomorrow, and then let's sit quietly, you're going to worry about tomorrow. And then, you're not are going to worry about tomorrow, you will also feel that you're doing something wrong. So it's even getting worse. Oh shit, I'm supposed not to worry about tomorrow, but here I am. I worry about tomorrow. And then you have two options. Either you fake, like you, you say, yeah, I'm so I'm really in the present moment and I'm happy. Uh, and or you you kind of try to beat yourself in into not worrying about the future. So it's not working. The, so don't worry about the future is not an instruction. It's the result. So that's why when there's a meditation teacher sitting here and saying, so don't judge. It's, that's not working because you're going to judge. That's what we do as human beings. So what you need to hear and what you need to realize is, okay, don't judge. It's the result. How do I get there? And one of the important parts of getting to not judging, which is which you will never reach, you will not reach not judging, unless you have this big boff enlightenment, which is only a few people in each generation. So, could be, could be, there is hope, but... Uh, it's, I think the hope is too small to really rest upon that. So you are not getting there. You are not going to get there to not judge. 
So one of the first practices we have to do when we want to get to not judging is to become aware of judging. To become aware of judging, to be kind with it, to look through it, to not indulge in it, to let it go when it arises, to get to no judging, to familiarize yourself with judging and loving it to death by being with it, by holding it, by feeling it, by looking at it, and by not finding it as something real. And then slowly, slowly, you you relax your judging. You relax your judging. It still arises, but you know, it's just okay. Okay, let go. Let go. Let go. Whereas if you feel don't judge is the instruction, you're sitting here, oh, judgment, shit, what do I, yeah, so, and then you judge the judgment. So then it's even worse. You not only judge, because that's what we do, you judge the judgment. And, that's, uh, that's, and that leads to guilt and making other people feel guilty. That, feels to, that, that leads to all this pretension and fake in, in the traditions. Because when you think this is an instruction, so then you put the, you put the straitjacket upon you, but then you also start to say it to others. Hey, don't judge. Because you can't live up to it. And you feel guilty about it, so you need to make you make to you need to make other people also to feel guilty about the same. So don't judge. I can't do it, but uh, I pretend I'm doing it, and then I demand from you also doing it. I demand something from you to do. I demand something from you to do something which I can't do myself, and I pretend that I'm doing it because you are not married with me, so I don't, you don't know that I'm full of judgments. And I can sit here and say, don't judge. Okay. A bit more time, yeah? So there's this beautiful teaching of Jesus, which is, uh, well, I can I can tell you. It's a quote. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. That's a quite famous quote of Jesus. Keep on knocking. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. To everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So one uh, one part of this uh, teaching is... uh, you know, to uh, to feel your calling, like to feel to feel that seeking, to feel that longing, which 
broke into your life. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. And I don't know when it broke into your life. Maybe already as a teenager, as it did in my case. Very clearly, this this strong this strong call, this strong seeking, yeah? this strong this strong sense of the divine, and the strong sense that life is about. Uh, recognizing the divine. For some people it happens later in life when they are in a crisis, when someone dies. So they did their, some people they need to do the, the, their thing, you know, like uh, going to school and starting a family and, and, and like being hypnotized by this thing we have in our culture, that life is about that, 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 that a good life is, uh, is a life uh, where, you, you know, where you have a pension and a health insurance and you have a car and a nice flat and many friends, so that's a good life, that's what life is about and that's what will be a satisfying life, a life of where you feel, ah, I did the best of them in my life. I really used my life in a good way. I have a car, I have an iPhone, I have a health insurance, I have a pension, and I have a good life. Yeah? And then something happens, and something always happens. Yeah? Some, because all these things say you will lose them at one point. So they are not reliable. And uh, you, we have we have uh, we have um, we have looked for refuge. We have looked for meaning and purpose in the wrong places. So then, then the calling arises in your life. The seeking arises in your life. There must be more. This this is, this can't be it. Well, sometimes even like a feeling, you no, know, even if you get there where you wanted to be, you no, know, kind of successful people in the in in the worldly sense, they are often the most unhappy because they they start to see, wow, I got there, you know, I'm famous, I'm, you know, I have, I have so much money, I can't, uh, there's no way I can spend this in this life, and they feel completely empty. So, and what Jesus says here is, when you, fo- when you follow that longing, when you follow that seeking, keep on seeking, he says, and you will find. So what he says, he encourages you to, uh, to honor that voice, and to not give up on that voice, to follow that voice, to, to kind of prioritize that voice, that calling, that seeking. Ah, there must be more. There must be something bigger. That's not what I'm here for. There's something more. And this, uh, in this, uh, this seeking, this longing, it's one of the, you know, the common common human factors we can recognize that in each other, and it's in our cultures and at all times. 
that that humans have heard that calling. Even in the very early, in the very early uh, uh, experience of 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 humans, you know, thousands of years back, maybe you know ten ten of ten thousands of years back. And a big part of our of our path is to to honor that voice and to prioritize that and to notice when you get back into the hamster wheel. When you waste your time with meaningless things which don't nurture you. And uh, so this, uh, this, the voice, the, the calling of the seeker, you know, the, your, mystic, your mystic longing, what is important, so to protect it, what is important there, that you, uh, that you, uh, that you seek out others, that you, you know, that you don't feel yourself, I'm the only mystic seeker in all of Sweden. No, you have to, you have to come together in groups, you have to connect with others who, who kind of, who say, yeah, I, I feel the same, I'm, I'm on the same, you know, there is something more. Let's talk about something else than, you know, the football games or ice hockey, which is also fine, yeah? But if that's what our life is about, what a waste. What a waste of, no, what a waste of this precious human life, which is, according to the teachings of Jesus, this beautiful combination of the divine and the human experience. So knock on the door and uh, part of that could be, or part of that, uh, if you can, uh, if you can if that kind of practices speak to you, is really going down onto your knees, yeah. like flat on the ground, and and knock. Yeah. Knock, and the door will be opened. So there is that. Uh, you have that also in the Buddhist practice, yeah. But at least in the Tibetan Buddhist practice. This practice, the practice of bhakti, the practice of devotion. And uh, again, there, probably because I know it from a, as a child, yeah? again, there, I can, uh, I can find this uh, aspect also within me uh, towards, you know, my master and towards the different uh, Buddhist, uh, like Shenrezig, or, you know. Uh, but um, it's also very strong in me if I connect with uh, the Christian, with the Christian tradition. I mean, if Jesus would come into this room in all his humanness, but also in all his glory, you know, the most ordinary person, very earthy, very, but in the same time very radiant, very loving. Yeah? Not like on a throne, 
Like it's, it's like in the Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they put their teachers on these thrones with amazing hats and, you know, golden flowers around, uh, which is uh, also beautiful and has a value. You know, but Jesus would walk in here maybe as a homeless person. But in his glory. So if he would walk in here, uh, then... You know, there would be something in us which would want to go, fell down onto our enemies. And by doing that, so when we knock, uh, we are what we are connecting with is something within us. We connect with our own divinity. So in the end, we are not worshiping something outside of us. We are not worshiping. We are not falling down onto a knees and we don't prostrate to something outside of us which can save us. No. What we are knocking at, what we are confirming through this knocking and this uh, devotion is our own true nature. We are knocking at our own heart. We make offerings to our own Buddha nature. So knock, keep on knocking. Maybe you 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 can you 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 can connect with that in nature. Yeah? So allow yourself to you know to you know forget yourself in nature and surrender to that mystery. So the knocking and the, the knocking uh, demands of you a lot of courage as well, because what you're open when, when, when you start to open that door is you are going, you are leaving the known and you start to go into the unknown. You start to go into death. And it, it is that scary as dying. So we need we need to be encouraged to actually keep on knocking. And we need to, uh, and that's what you know Jesus is symbolizing. It's like this encouragement, yeah. knock. You know, the door, the door will be opened. Everyone who seeks finds. But what you're going to find is not what you think. What, what, you, what you're going to find is, is that there is no you. <laughs> what you're going to find is that there is no seeker. And the seeker, this, the, 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 the you, the I, is, is not going, is not going to, the I is not going to want to knock at the right door. Because the I will be, will be, the I, the I will realize its own non-existence. 
So knocking and then opening the door is like ah! <laughs> I will uh, no no that, that's too much. Yeah? So and then you need to encourage encouragement. Okay, actually that you're scared to knock, it's a good sign. That's why you have to knock. You have to knock there where you are scared. Don't see the, don't see your fear as you know as a warning sign. See it as as a a, a green sign, not a not a, a red sign. See it as when you are scared, when you when you get afraid to knock, when you get afraid to fall onto your knees and surrender and let go, let go of the control freak. You get of course you get afraid of that. You get afraid of trust to trust. And then see that as a sign of, wow, yeah, this is actually the right door. There is also, and that depends, and it's different for different people, and it's different in different times. There is also, of course, when you knock and the door opens a bit, then there's joy and relief. So that's, that's also happening. But don't, don't take the fear as... A, as a warning sign, rather take it as a sign. Yeah, that's the right door. Keep on knocking. Okay. So, the last words at the end of, and this was really a tiny little part of Jesus' teachings. And it's... Uh, it's worth to uh, explore. Probably more so even than exploring the Buddhist tradition. Because it's your culture. Now I'm coming from the Catholic kind of view. So the teacher I, I wrote down there, they are all you know, coming from a Catholic, Catholic view. But, uh, uh, but I'm sure the same kind of richness uh, you find in the pro Protestantic. Protestantic teachings. So the last words of Jesus. So on the cross, alone in the cold, abandoned, yeah. rejected, failed, yeah. Just went through the, uh, you know, through the twelve stages of uh, carrying the cross, yeah? with all the humiliation, with all the pain, with all the, uh, with all the, with all, with all that which we experience as human beings. So, he says three things, mm -hmm. Father. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is, this is words who are like vibrating since this 2,000 years in our souls, in our 
and and they are i think for me they are so deep and so uh touching because my culture my upbringing is connected with it i mean the buddha has said equally powerful and beautiful words but there is that kind of childlike first experience within me when I hear that. When my father read the, no, I had this children Bible with the stories of Jesus. When my father read that to me, I couldn't read even. So that was before I've I've learned reading. So I must have been four or five. Father, forgive them, for they they know not what they do. And then, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? This is, you know, this is amazing to... To have a like a spiritual tradition where in the end, like the founder of this tradition, admits his failing, admits his doubts, it admits that he feels completely alone. And there's nothing there's nothing he can stand on. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you no, know, in the there's one one mystic I really appreciate also is Johannes of the Cross and Teresa von Avila, and they have uh, well, worked around this a lot, and they called it the dark night of the soul. Yeah? This this moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The dark night of the soul. They have a whole teachings on it. Like you know the steps of it and and so on and so you can you can read about it. And the dark night of a soul must be and is a, a part of the journey for every genuine practitioner. So, in a way, don't do it. Don't do it. But I, I just say it. In a way, we all should pray for the dark night of the soul. But when you are there, you will wish never to have done that prayer. Because now it might, it might sound kind of a bit glorious. you know. But when you are there, when you are hanging on the cross, and you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's real. It's not a glorious moment where you feel, wow, now finally the darkness of the soul. (laughs) Now I'm going to have my breakthrough because it's real. But you have to go through it. So if you are a Buddhist practitioner, you have to break through your, you know, there's this level of practice 
where you feel settled and you know your stuff and you know the tense of this and you're a bit like, yeah, this is how it is, karma and purification and you know, emptiness I have also understood a bit and you know, so and then and my tradition is the best one and you know and then and that is like uh, you know, this is this expresses this level of seeking for certainty. We kind of rest in, in a superficial, uh, in a superficial understanding of the teachings, and we think we have understood something, and we become also a bit uh, defensive and scared when other people have other opinions or criticize that or do do other things because we feel we rest on a conceptual level of of the teachings. And uh, this is an important part of, uh, an important step in our practice. But then, when we go beyond that, when we start to doubt, when we see, wow, this is actually, this is, this is nothing I can rest on. It's like, and, and I'm so, I'm so, I mean, I can't live up to that, and I'm too much. I'm, you know, if we see our humanity, and when we, you know, I mean, yes, we can know the steps of generosity, but then when we, when we really connect with our greediness, and and then when we, when we come to places where we feel, oh, I didn't get anywhere with my practice, and uh, so many, uh, many aspects, and we have to go through this, and probably a few times, where kind of your practice, or then your your tradition where you are in is to, is involved in a scandal, you know, and the teacher you have. Trusted, suddenly you know, falls down or something like that. So there is there is this moments, and then to to uh, you know to to uh, to feel that that failing is impermanent and that it is a, a stepping stone and that it is part of your journey. That's what you signed up for. You signed up for falling apart. It's not like a you know, genuine mystic practice, genuine Buddhist practice is not a feeling well mindfulness practice. So even Jesus, why did you forsake me? I have nothing to hold on. And then the very last word, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's in the Buddhist teachings called awakening. So first, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then, into your hands, I commit my spirit.
So completely surrender. Completely letting go of the mini-me, of the mini-I, of the Jesus-I. Completely let go of that. Completely letting go of that. Completely surrendering into Christ's consciousness. And completely letting go of understanding. Completely letting go of understanding what Christ's consciousness is. Completely let go of understanding what God is. Completely let go of any understanding of what emptiness is. Completely letting go into the unknown, into the mystery. Groundlessness and centerless. You know, the Christian monks and nuns who their whole life, you know, uh, you know, work with that and surrender and uh, <coughs> who, um, who more and more have the experience of the divine, you know, uh, in every moment. You know, they, they go home like that. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And maybe you have, uh, you have uh, witnessed uh, you know, a grandfather or a grandmother dying like that. I've heard. Many stories like that. Also from from Swedish people, of of old people who who die like that. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And uh, I wish uh, we all will die like that. Okay. Okay, yes. May Jesus be with you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's good. It's not, uh, I don't think there's a lot of time to discuss. Any questions? Yes. If we project on others and we become aware of that, that is one thing. But when when we need to take on others' projections on ourselves, that's even harder. Mm. Yeah, nothing of this is easy. Huh? Nothing of this is easy. No. Mm. It's hard enough to, to want to see yourself openly. Mm. But to taking others' projection because mm. it could it, it challenge others 
No, what is being challenged when you are judged is your own self-image. What is challenged when you are judged by others is your own self-image. get them, I get that to them. Because if I was unsure, if I was sure of my self-image, yeah. I, no, I if you, if you, that there are. No, if you, yeah, that's one step, and the deeper step is then to, to experience that there's nobody here who's being judged. Okay. What, what you try to defend is the story of you. That's what you try to defend. And if you realize, so let's see you are criticized, when you see that there's nobody here who's being criticized, then, uh, then, then you allow other people to judge you and criticize you. Yes, people have the right to judge and criticize you, and they do it. Just like you judge and criticize others, so other people judge and criticize you. They do it. There's no way around it. It's in our nature. But when it comes to a situation in harm's way, then then must be maybe the right thing to to step away from that. Absolutely, that would be uh, the most. <coughs> that's often the most kind thing to step out of the situation, not only kind to yourself, but also to the others. Because the others who judge you, they also suffer, and they create the causes for suffering. So the most compassionate in that moment, for yourself and for the others, could be that you never see them again. But knowing that that you're actually going to see them again, (laughs) And that, that theme which comes up in this relationship will need to be addressed, but then at a later point, maybe when, when you have, when you have uh, more space or... You know. But temporary, it it's, can be the most kind thing, even you know, in relationship to your parents or to your ex or something. Uh, sometimes it's the most kind thing to step out of the relationship for a while. And here for a while could be a few lifetimes. Yeah. Because otherwise you, if you, can, if you cannot be, um, if there is no solution right there, mm. and I, and the I solution, do my best. Yes, the solution is love. Yeah, the solution is love. Yeah. If I know that, mm. and those are not ready to see that, then I do not escape. If I, then it's not to escape to step out of the situation. No, but you can still keep on training, loving them. Yes. I'm really inspired by uh, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Mm. And I really feel it. it uh, it's at the heart of every tradition and even Buddhism that all sin 
comes from uh, ignorance or yes. confusion of not knowing mm. their true essence, who they really are, mm -hmm. and seeing each other as separate. That's that's how mm. all these problems uh, arise in us and mm. in the world. So if if we weren't confused, then there wouldn't be these problems, and that there is no enemy, there is no bad person, there is no evil. Uh, everything arises from that confusion. Right. And yeah. And and that's that's really inspiring. That yeah. Like ev everyone is workable. Everyone can be saved because in their essence they're all mm. pure and perfect. Right. And uh, sin yeah. is just a layer. Yeah. That's that's yes. really beautiful. Yeah. And I think you can really go as far as you now did with this and they don't know what they do. Uh, that it is really like deeper than, you know, just saying, yeah, they were they, they didn't know uh, what it is actually I think pointing to is that basic fundamental confusion which you mentioned now. And the Christian would maybe say we are all divine in our nature, undestructible, uncorruptible, divine. And when we are not in contact with that, then we do harmful things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this this uh, surrendering uh, to surrender. Uh, that is also the the result, and not mm -hmm. as you yeah. talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a uh, yeah. So how to get there? Um, uh, Because that there is no hope and there is no, uh, yeah, like no hope in it. In, in total surrender, there is also no. Because hope is also something you, like, cling to, or. Yeah, you have to surrender hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so there is like a practices um, where you embody surrender, you know, through the mudras, through the prostrations. Uh, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, you have the guru yoga, which uh, you know, has, has different aspects. And then surrender has to do with the understanding of emptiness. Or you would study emptiness and uh, meditate on emptiness in the prescribed way, like the steps and so um, and then there is um, or to build up the trust is um, part of that is uh, as I said it's this practice of devotion to your teacher so contemplating the qualities of the teacher being inspired by the teacher remembering the teacher um, yeah so and there's probably more. I, I, this is just my first responses to this. Yeah. But 
Um, so it's it's right. Uh, I think uh, you are right that it is more a result, surrendering. And then there's uh, practices like prostrations, where you where you do it, and and then and then something happens. So you do it, and you feel the resistance, you feel the pride, and and then and then you by continuing to do it, you get a sense of how surrendering actually feels and what it means. How it so let's let's say I'm dying on the. I really would like to surrender, mm -hmm. but I can't do it. Is it not better to 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 like have a hope, uh, like feel devotion to like Dalai Lama? Or if that works for you, yes. Yeah. So, but it's not working if if you then would say or someone else <coughs> would say to you, "Hey, remember the Dalai Lama," yeah, mm -hmm. because uh, so that's something. Uh, that's something you have to uh, explore before. And also there, you can't... No, having devotion to the Dalai Lama is the result. So it's not something... I can't tell you, hey, have devotion to the Dalai Lama. It's, it's work. It's like you have, to, you have to create the conditions for devotion to arise. Yeah? Sometimes it's quite spontaneous. Like some people, they meet the Dalai Lama and they feel intuitively, they feel devotion, they feel trust. But then even those people, they need to cultivate it. So that means they need to every day relate to the Dalai Lama, call upon the Dalai Lama, do a sadhana. Uh, and, then, and then at the end of your life, if you have done that for 30 years, at the end of your life, if someone... Uh, who is there uh, when you're dying, says, you know, remember the Dalai Lama or has a picture there. Then you will slide into it. Uh, the other part of that is, in, in meditation, we cultivate our capacity to be um, loving, to be lovingly present to whatever arises and to see its emptiness, both. So we, we, we train that. So if you train that capacity, uh, then that will be also available to you at, at the death time. So what that means is, if not surrendering arises in the, in the, in the death process, which it will, you're not going to kind of, probably, you're not going to, it, it will not be a smooth ride. Yeah? There will be ups and downs in that, in that journey. But if you have trained yourself to have a loving, spacious attitude to whatever arises, then you will have that available to you also at the death, in the death process. So it will not be different than a, than a meditation session where you feel hungry and then you feel restless and then you feel tired and then you feel pain and then you yeah uh, all that will arise but if you have trained yourself to give space to it and to see its emptiness then the non-surrendering uh, is allowed is is there 
has space, ah, non-surrendering is arising. You see its emptiness, so it's not a big deal. It comes and goes. And you have a trust that you actually don't need to do anything with not surrendering, because it would dissolve itself into surrendering. Surrendering will be forced upon you in the death process. You have no choice. In the beginning, when your mind is still be able to resist, because the conceptual level still is there, that can be really, really difficult. But that's going to go downhill. At one point, it will be forced upon you that you can't have problems. Because your mind will not be able anymore to make problems. So surrendering, no, you, in short, you don't need to worry, you will die successfully. Uh, then there is this moment when the clear light mind of death arises. So when the divine uh, radiates in its whole glory. So if you have cultivated trust uh, during your life into the presence of the divine, into the presence of groundless, centerless, cognizant presence in the nature of love, in the nature of light, then, in that moment, you could do the quantum leap. Or, you could prefer, at, the, at this time, uh, you could prefer to struggle a little bit longer. So you go, you're blown into the, into the next opportunity. But at each death time, in this journey of our death process, we have the opportunity to merge into the divine. And more we are, more we are familiar with this, more we have uh, familiarized ourselves, more we have forget our, forgot, forgotten the mini-me, and more relaxed we can stay in that moment. So that's no, that's that's the biggest surrender, you know, at the end of the death process. I wrote uh, four teachers there, uh, so Thomas Merton. So these are Catholic uh, practitioners. So then uh, Brother Steindl Rust. Uh, he is Austrian, but he uh, was trained as a Benedictine monk in the United States. He is quite old now, more than 80. There's YouTube videos around. It's his brother David? Is his name David Steinerast, yeah, yeah, Steinerast. And then there's Father Keaton, who is one of the revivers of the contemplative uh, Catholic tradition. Uh, and then I wrote down Atyashanti, he's a non-dual teacher who comes from the Buddhist tradition, but he wrote a book uh, it's called Re Resurrecting, Resurrecting Jesus, which is maybe a good good way for you know Buddhist practitioners and, and non-dual people who are in the non-dual teachings uh, to kind of find back to Jesus and and uh, see Jesus as the story of awakening, and he 
refers to the different gospels and the different teachings of Jesus and kind of sees them a bit from a from a non-dual uh, non-dual point of view. It's 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 a it's a good book and uh, he uh, he is also he brings his own experience of Jesus uh, in, into this book. So it's inspiring. Yeah. In the beginning of this talk, you mentioned a book you read around Christmas every year. Ah, yeah, that's called mind. Holy Mind, Silent Mind by Lama Yeshe. Okay. Yes. I'm not sure if it's available as a book still, but uh, it's uh, available online. So you can, uh, uh, you can read it. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much. Happy Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> with, a, with a profound meaning now. Yeah, happy Christmas. <laughs>